If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We've built communities. Is that we have been prohibited. Yes. Hello, yes. black woman owned and mm-hmm. operated. Then that other folk don't have a choice. and be amazed by what we see in each other. We are the most special creation ever created. Welcome. You are tuned into Monuments to Me, brought to you by Revolt. This podcast is a space for honest and relevant conversations meant to recharge Black women and inspire you on your journey. We're your hosts, Akila Friends and Ty McRae, and each week we'll be addressing a range of topics from self-care, entrepreneurship, to politics and relationships. Join us as we explore the ups and downs and bask in the joys of Black womanhood. This is Monuments to Me, brought to you by Revolt. We're your hosts. I'm Akila Friend. I'm Ty McRae. And y'all, today we're going to be talking, putting on for your city. We all come from, or most of us, from different parts, <laughs> different parts of the U.S. Or actually, I think it's a two for two right now, right? We're the New Yorkers in the room. And then we've got... I bet I'm um, the only Mississippian at the oh, table. Oh, yeah. Okay. I knew it. It would have been too good to be true. <laughs> <laughs> it be true. I've been North versus South. Yes. That what do? <laughs> That's what we'll do. North Can versus South. In? But we all have the same mission. So today we're talking about the role... Black women specifically play in moving industries and infrastructure in their communities. We're going to be talking about youth and small business initiatives in Atlanta. And hopefully this is inspirational for those outside of Atlanta as well, because this really shows how your work and the work that we do when it comes to uplifting each other, uplifting our community impacts black women (laughs) and black impacts the black community overall. So again, welcome to Monuments to Me, a podcast that is for black women, about black women, celebrating black women and those who are not black women. You can clearly be a fly on the wall and listen into all, all that we've got to say. Yeah, let's get into our guest, Ty. We have two amazing guests and we know them well, but we want them to have the opportunity to introduce themselves. Tell us about the amazing things you're doing in the world. We'll start with you, Dr. Key. Thank you. Uh, This is awesome. I'm so happy to be a part of history today. Yes. Yeah, so this is what I'm going to go to sleep thinking about. I I made history today. We should have brought trophies. Absolutely. I need a trophy. But I am Dr. Lakeisha Hallman, affectionately known as Dr. Key, the founder of really now a serial entrepreneur. I have uh, three companies and a partnership. So I'm the founder of the Village Market, the founder of Village Retail, an amazing nonprofit, Our Village United, and then the co-founder of 310 Studios. All of the work that I've been doing in the last couple of years is to celebrate and amplify black businesses. We've been able to make a substantial economic dent in the city of Atlanta. So we put on over our city with $7.3 million of direct sales to black businesses. Amen. Okay. That's a hard act to follow. <laughs> but I will say this. Ironically, 
I've been following Dr. Key's journey for a really long time. And part of my journey is based on what I learned from Dr. Key's journey. I started three businesses when I left the music industry after having worked in it for 13 years as a business manager. And I felt that I could do that because of the work that Dr. Key was doing. So when we talk about Village Market, we're talking about the original Village Mm -hmm. Market. We're talking about pop-ups. We're talking about meeting with people who had the same drive and um, tenacity, right, to serve us, right? And so because of that, I said, okay, I think I can do that, okay? And so I did. I started three businesses, and then I got a phone call, and I was asked to join a nonprofit organization formerly known as the Harvard Debate Council Diversity Project, which as of Monday of this week was announced as the Veritas School of Social Sciences. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So for four and a half years, I've been working with this nonprofit organization that does youth development and education. And our goal was always to expand. It was always to scale and to continue to serve, particularly the young people in Atlanta. We are fulfilling phase one of that dream in rolling out the Veritas Debate Institute, which is the first official program of the Veritas School of Social Sciences, which is being touted as what will be the most equitable school in the world. Equitable in the quality of the education the educators themselves, and the facilities, right? And so what we're looking to do here in the city of Atlanta is offer a private school whose curriculum is centered on black and brown experiences. It has never been done before. We do have two black private schools in the country. One is in Mississippi. Okay. Yes. Piney Woods. Shout out. When I would get in trouble when I was younger, my mother would always say, I'm about to send you to Piney Woods. I promise you. (laughs) Now we try to go. years. <laughs> and the other is in Pine Forge, Pennsylvania. It is a Seventh-day okay. Adventist boarding high school called Pine Forge. I, I think we have a thing with Pine. <laughs> I think we do. But we will be the first in the city of Atlanta, the bedrock of civil rights, the home yeah of what Mm. people call black excellence, Mm -hmm. right? The Mecca. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really exciting endeavor. But in addition to that, and to me, probably one of the most important designations that I have is being a mother. And I know that that's not the typical, you know, starting point, but based on how I was raised and the things that I saw, that was always a number one priority for me was to be, yeah. yeah, to be a great mother. And so I've got a junior at Spelman, Mm-hmm. And I've got a, okay, hello. Oh, we're getting close to graduation. Praise him. <laughs> and I've got a fifth grader at the Ron Clark Academy. So, you know, I'm in the game for another, yes. several, <laughs> another several years. So two kids who equally feel like they're only children. Absolutely. <laughs> You're absolutely right. right. There might be a lot of pressure for them because their mother's in education and mm. she's raising scholars, you know, so. It can be a little tough for them. Occasionally. <laughs> but for the most part, they fare well. The, you know, That's these right. are girls who are, are determined to be the best and not because of me. You know, they have their own agency and that to me is the marker of being a good mom, Mm -hmm. right? Is letting them be who they are, irrespective of who I am. Okay, That's amazing. There's so many places we could start the conversation just based on those intros. I'm going to go off script, and I always do. I mean, okay. We don't have a script, by the way. We just (laughs) scroll into scroll. (laughs) (laughs) This is part of the image right here. It looks good. It does look very, very much giving. It's very much giving. I felt like when I was younger, when black women had ideas, it very often was a nonprofit or a volunteer initiative. And I heard what you said was nonprofit, but it's run like a business. And then you, Dr. Key, are talking about for-profit businesses. So when someone has this new idea that they want to bring into the world, how do they decide which direction to go into? 
That is a great question. And I probably should have said I have three for-profit businesses and I work for one nonprofit. But how do you have 27 hours in the day when the rest of us have 24? Hello, come on. <laughs> Listen, and if I could explain that, I probably would be a multi-millionaire right, right now. That's sounding like the fifth business. Right? <laughs> Listen, <laughs> Listen, let's put that together. <laughs> but, I mean, I do think there, I mean, obviously there are some, some legal things, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you're determining whether to be for-profit or not for-profit, mm-hmm. you um, are looking at how you want to spend the additional money. Right. So there are some requirements if you are a nonprofit organization. Right. You're not you're not doling out the excess. Right. The profit to shareholders and things of that nature. And so if you're looking to, you know, IPO or you're looking, you know, some of the more technical financial endeavors, you want to go for profit. Mm -hmm. Most nonprofit organizations are geared toward that service work that you're not necessarily trying to make money off of. And then you also have to look at trying to get your 501c3 clearance, right? Mm-hmm. And so there are some very specific guidelines from the IRS that will tell you whether or not you're going to be able to get that designation. Right. Right. And so that usually is what helps people to make that decision. But overall, when I'm talking to potential clients or I'm talking to scholars who want to start businesses, my first question for them is, how do you want to spend the profit? Okay. Are you looking to reinvest that into the community and in service work? Okay, then that sounds like you want to do 501c3. If you're looking to expand, you want to be in the stock market, you want to do all these other things where you're profiting off of your business, then you want to look at for-profit. But Dr. Key, now you're building business out here, so I probably should have gave that question to you first. Oh, no, I I only have a small thing to add on. I also think the question is, how do you want to make money? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're making money, direct customer, then that's Mm for-profit. But in the sense of serving, then you go after the grants route so people will find your programs for you. For entrepreneurs and those who are listening to this conversation, I do everything as a business canvas. Mm -hmm. Start thinking about your problem or your solution or this bright idea that you have. Paint this picture of whoever your customer is or the person that you want to hire hire you, and then where does the money flow? That goes in line to what, what Kelly just said. If it's serving the, the need of the community, and this is almost little to no cost or reduced cost for people to get into that program, that's 100% a nonprofit. But then you get your money, though, through grants mm-hmm. and through fundraising. On the other end of that, if you are direct sales or somebody is hiring you to cut the lawn, or your consulting services, that is a for-profit business. But I want people to understand that even if you are a nonprofit, it should be ran like a business. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I Absolutely. think that is the biggest mistake. There's no easy route to business. There's no easy route to success. So even if you're going to run a nonprofit organization, I have my own, Our Village United. We are a multi-million dollar organization due to, I run it the same way I run my for-profit nice. businesses. How do those tactics flow when you're thinking of industries now? So if we're saying nonprofit, for-profit, these are the things that you would do or think about. Is the same thoughts coming to mind when you're saying, okay, I would rather run something that's in the sciences or something that is tech or something that is, you know, whatever it might be, consumer goods, things of that nature. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. 
that will only get you the rapper Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. For clarity, are we talking about are there specific industries that are more adaptable or better fits for nonprofits? I think I'm just going to tap back in on uh, what Dr. Key is sharing. What you really have to look at is the funding source. Mm. If there's a grant for it and you can obtain it, then that will put you no matter what the industry is because not-for-profit work covers the span of industries. So again, it's looking at how do you want to get that money. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting, Coach. So my world is tech, and I look at VC funding, and such a small fraction of it, less than one percentage point, goes to women of color. Mm -hmm. And so when you're throwing out these numbers that black women are starting businesses more than everyone else, they're not getting funding from venture capital firms, and they may have to apply for grants. So what's going wrong? Let's start there. <laughs> and how do you guide and what is your advice to businesses, especially black women who are starting businesses? You know, I think the question is, I don't know if something's going wrong or is something going exactly how it was designed to go. That part. Right. And they so for VC funding that is traditionally a group of white men, when they closed their eyes and they thought of who they were going to invest in, it was people that looked just like them. That's right. We don't look like them. So they were not considering us. Mm-hmm. But why this is important, the good thing about black women, we know when people close their eyes, they don't see us. Mm-hmm. So black women, such as Jewel Burke Solomon, one of my business yeah, partners, yeah, right. have started Collab Capital mm-hmm. because right. when she needed funding for Part Pick, mm-hmm. these people closed their eyes and it wasn't Jewel that they saw. Mm-hmm. Now Jewel closes her eyes and she sees people just like us. Mm-hmm. And because of that, Erin and Simone with Fearless Fund, and I can keep going on and That's on right. and on, black funds have been created because of this issue. But I think we have to understand it wasn't designed to be an issue. That's mm-hmm. right. It wasn't designed for us. That's right. Knowing that, you know, obviously with VC funding, it's one thing. But when you think of black folks starting businesses, specifically mm-hmm. small businesses, I don't think the first goal oftentimes isn't to get that VC funding. It's to get funding, period. It's to sell mm-hmm whatever product they have. And specifically that number is 2.7 million of businesses nationwide are accounted for due to black women. Mm. And so when you think of that, that number is huge. And I'm thinking through to myself, what would prompt black women oftentimes to even go that route? Why do you think, you know, obviously we can't speak for all black women, (laughs) but why do you think, or perhaps keep it personal, why did you decide to start a small business that now is better than small, (laughs) but to start that business in the first place. Well, I think it's interesting, Akila. I think the first thing we have to do is make sure people understand what small business is, Mm -hmm. right? In this country, that's any business that has less than 500 employees. So the majority of the country is in fact small business, right? And so when we look at it from that perspective, that number kind of feels a little bit differently. And so for me, the motivation behind why I decided to leave the comfort because it was comfortable getting that check every two weeks. Hello. Right. And those benefits. Yes. But now <laughs> eating what I kill is a whole different journey. OK. Mm-hmm. But the reality was I said, you know, I had spent a long time building someone else's dream. Right. I had ideas and I knew I could solve problems for a group of people that were not currently being serviced. Mm-hmm. 
right? And so I said, okay, what are we going to do about that? We're going to build this business. I know how to do these things and I want to offer that. The other piece that I'll say is this, what I often find when I, well, in the beginning, when I was looking for capital, were the questions about scale. Because if you look at the details behind the businesses that we are setting up, a lot of them are solopreneur businesses. And so what we really have to look at are what are the end goals? What direction are we going in? Do I want to be an employer of people? Because that's a different model out the gate than if I, you know, have a few ideas about product that I want to sell or share, you know, something that's really personal or like, um, you know, like maybe not, I wouldn't call it a vanity project, but things that are, you know, more about me Creative and hobby. putting my thoughts into the world versus I'm building an empire and I want to employ 300 people by this date. Right. And so when you go into, and this is what I often talk to my clients about is and when we're looking at revenue stream, when we're looking at scale, we're looking at monetizing dreams. These are the things we're talking about. Do you want to have a business that your children, that you can bequeath to your children? Do you want to be in a particular community or in a particular region? How far do you want your reach to go? I do. I think that a lot of what I decided to do is just because I was tired of building other people's stuff. And I realized that if I could do that, that all of the things that I wanted to solve for that I could do as well. Real quick, though, how do you know when you're tired? Because some people, you know, probably it's a bad week. Right? <laughs> probably it's right. a bad week or you're tired, but you don't know that the next thing that you do is the best thing. So what was that moment or that breaking point to say, not only am I tired, but I need to go and I need to not even go, but start my own empire. When I started being asked to do things that were outside of my value system, And I had had to do those. I had to compromise for years. So it wasn't one moment. Okay. It was a culmination of moments. And I was literally tired. (laughs) And so I'll just be really transparent. I went to Progressive Medical Center because I was having acid reflux, right? And when I went to the gastroenterologist, she was like, oh, it's because you eat spicy food. I'm like, ma'am, I don't eat Mm. spicy food. And she was like, here, take this pill for the rest of your life and it will solve that problem for you. And I said, yeah, thanks, bye. And so I went to Progressive Medical Center and they did a full panel, everything. Mm -hmm. They did seven panel thyroid. They did all of the, any secretion that you have from your body. Mm. They tested all that blood, saliva, everything, right? Mm -hmm. And what I found was that I had had ulcers that had erupted and healed and there was scar tissue. What? Right? The acid reflux that I was suffering from was a result of multi-organ issues. I had a thyroid and adrenal issue. I was an insomniac. I've been insomniac for years and thought it was because I was like, you know, ADHD and had like real issues with focus and things of that nature. No, it was because my adrenal glands were impacted because my thyroid was out of balance, which manages your hormones. That's why my hair was falling out. Right. I'm thinking strip my hair falling out. Lord. And it was in fact, stress induced. When I found out that I had scar tissue at the bottom of my esophagus, at the top of my stomach, and that can turn into cancer cells that will kill you. I said, it is not worth it for me to work at this frenetic pace for the rest of my life. Again, a bunch of different moments that said, Kelly, it's time for you to figure out where you are supposed to be and what you are supposed to be doing. And that's when I made the decision. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I guess the only yeah. thing I would add to that, I don't think it always takes getting to a place where your body is physically really failing you mm-hmm. because you're failing it. I think sometimes when you know you're tired, it's because you don't have that spark. That part. You don't wake up in the morning rejuvenated. You're not excited to get to it. No one has done you wrong. Your work environment is cool. You like these people. 
but nothing inside of you comes to life. And I think we deserve to feel like that. Mm -hmm. We deserve to feel that we're in our purpose because that's what that is. To feel like whatever what I'm doing in life, I'm really this is pouring into me just as much as I'm pouring into it. And we live with a different light when we're in our purpose. So I think when we're walking around and people are barely seeing us, it's because we're invisible. And it really takes us being in our in our calling and our purpose to know it. So I don't think it's always I think you always have extreme moments. But what I want the listeners to understand, another moment is when you're simply not you don't come to life doing this thing anymore. Mm. And that was your situation too. You kind of, Oh no, 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 it wasn't my situation. I was led to start the village. Okay. Yeah. This is more of a, a, a calling. I think that's why it's been so successful and other, you know, other than I'm very stubborn. So I, I refuse, <laughs> I refuse to be subpar in anything, but it wasn't, I was pulled in such a way that I know I heard the voice very clearly what I was supposed to do with my life. I was a very happy educator. I spent a great deal of time at the Department of Education as a researcher. I loved it, thoroughly enjoyed it. But when the village came about, it woke me up. I can talk about that exuberance because I still have it seven years later. Mm-hmm. And I am that type of person who I, I love. I don't look at it as people work for me. I love when I'm able to bring new people on my team yeah, yeah. and preferably black women. It is absolutely amazing. Mm, that's great. And that, and it's so interesting that you said that Dr. Key, because the very first village market that I went to, when I walked in the door and saw all the people who looked like me, mm. greeting, moving, orchestrating, I was like, okay, then, right. okay, this is what I needed to see. Yeah. <laughs> and I appreciate that you shared what you did because we talk about educating young people and we talk about how we should frame purpose, it is exactly that. It's that we are not here to be enslaved to anything. And that if we teach young women, Mm -hmm. in particular young black women, Mm -hmm. that we deserve to feel fulfilled and walk in purpose, because I just wonder sometimes if I have been taught that versus work hard, do whatever mm-hmm. required, don't ever complain, be there all do day, every told, day. Correct. Do what you're Correct. Told. Don't like rock you're the boat. Civil servant. Don't <laughs> don't rock the good. boat. Mm-hmm. Don't ask mm-hmm. questions. Just get in there. Put your head down because you have to do this in order yeah. to have this in order to be this. Yes. If we teach young people that from the get go, there will be a lot more happy, fulfilled, purpose driven right. people moving around in the world. I and I didn't mean to like, suggest yeah, that there's anything wrong with being a civil servant, but I do think of public education as a mechanism to train people to be obedient and not critically question the world that they engage in. No way. Is why so is that? frustrating to me. <laughs> you about to start why. talking my language <laughs> because that's exactly what we're teaching young people in our really? programming. Absolutely. Mm. Our programming is about public speaking and critical thinking. Yes. It's mm-hmm. about the humanities. And the reason why those three things are important is because it's service to human beings, mm-hmm. right? It's thinking through and really impacting things right change and so when you sit in a room with young black and brown people and you tell them that their voices are valuable and that I don't want you to sit here and regurgitate information I want you to receive information and I want you to process it and create with the information that you're given it changes the model that you're talking about and that's also the reason why we have to um, invest in our educators right because you have to be an educator who's trained to teach that way so that you're not confined to the standards right 
right? But that you can see beyond. Now, these are the fundamental and foundational things that my students need in order to be successful, right, with the milestone testings and standardized Mm -hmm. testings and getting into college and things of that nature. But outside of that, are we teaching them how to teach themselves? And so what we talk about in our programming is I'm doing my job as an educator when you don't need me anymore. Of course. Okay, I get get what you guys are saying. Well, what I hear is you're developing youth to have a very particular mindset. And I'm actually wondering, Dr. Key, is there a mindset you see that's common in successful entrepreneurs? Mm. Yeah, it's a really great question. Really great question. So what I see in successful, and I have to talk about peers because these are the entrepreneurs I see. Yeah. So what I see in black people, uh, (laughs) and especially women, is that stubbornness that I I just spoke of. That level of excellence that we have embedded inside of us, and then it comes out. The consistency to really learn how to do the thing that you're doing and the ability to critique yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every entrepreneur has a strong eye of critique of self first. Yes. And then a lot of self-examination. Other strong entrepreneurs that I see and admire have the ability to work well with other people and see the values in each other's gifts. Mm-hmm. So it's not intimidated because you work with HBO and all right. these other incredible people. It's like, wow, you work with these people. You are amazing. And you are the gift in the room. This is what I'm learning from other entrepreneurs, like being able to see each other fully Mm -hmm. and be amazed by it. And other successful entrepreneurs and my peers and friends are not afraid of challenge. That's it. The challenge is the joy almost Mm -hmm. because it's a way to figure something out and to lean into the pivot model that's so necessary. The ability to pivot as an entrepreneur simply means it doesn't matter what comes my way. There is a B. There's a C, there's a D, but the journey at the end is all the same. And I think Mm. that's extremely powerful. I think I see it a lot amongst my peers and it's a level of resiliency that black people have and a resolve that black people have. I love that. Mm. Was that always the case for both of you? Because I think those skill sets very evident in talking to you, Mm -hmm. to you both. But was that part of the journey into the success that you all now have as entrepreneurs? Or do you feel like that was day one? Like, What was the the most important traits that you knew then that you now have now or... Was it always the same? I'll be brief. I Mm -hmm. think grit was always in me. Mm. Just have a level of grit to push hard, to work hard. But the things, all the things that I know as a 40-year-old woman, no, it wasn't always there. I had to um, unbecome so many things to Mm. become who I am. Mm -hmm. And in that unbecoming... I learned to walk in a room and to not feel that I had to go to the back of the room. I can stand at the front of the room, if not leading the conversation in the room. But it takes getting into rooms. It takes really hearing your voice and people responding well to it to say like, oh, I got something to say. (laughs) And it's something valuable. But I think life is what stretches us in a way that we can fully experience ourselves Mm -hmm. and then have an experience with another person. But now, so I think the only thing I was born with, with was an amazing God, amazing family, and a great deal of grit. One quick thing. What was one of the things that you had to unbecome? I like that phrase. I love that. I love yes. that. I'm like, it's one of those things. I think there's a, a space in your life when you can be too humble when you're black and when you're a woman. Mm-hmm. I had to unbecome the way I was raised in Mississippi mm. to be extremely humble in that. And I'm grateful that I'm a humble person. But I think sometimes in so much humility people forget who did the work and I think it's important to be able to exude both confidence and a knowing plus humility that was a big thing or is a big thing I think for me too like growing up with Caribbean 
background. <laughs> like my, mm-hmm. my mom is Jamaican. And part of that was more one of those things where it's like, no, you're doing the work, do the things. You don't have to brag about it. You know, right, success. Right, right. you're going to be fine regardless. You don't have to say that you you did this or you did that, because sometimes when you do one, there's a target on your back now. Mm-hmm. And two, so what? You know, you're, you're kind of putting that evil eye out there for, for something bad to happen next. And, you know, especially comparing that to America, white folks, white men specifically praised for what they say. And I enjoy seeing that, too, because it's like, OK, talk your shit like that's what it is. And yeah. I think there's a level, a healthy level of talking that when you are that. So I love what you said. What about you? Well, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because even just hearing you speaking, Dr. Key, I was raised to keep my head down, mm-hmm. to work hard, to not expect much mm-hmm. from people or the world. Mm-hmm. And I was also always one of, right? Like, so every space that I was in, I was like the only black girl mm-hmm. or I was the only girl who wanted to be black. Oh, that's a difference. Different podcast topic for another time. So I spent a lot of time just kind of flying under the radar because it was safe there. Whenever I would speak out in class in a room full of young white men and women, and I was one of two or three black girls, I was expected to keep my mouth shut, not to have too many opinions, not to rock the boat. I remember when I, my parents got divorced and I moved in with my father and I had to switch schools. And so I had to kind of try out for the AP and advanced classes. And the teacher told me he was the soccer coach who was teaching AP history. And he said to me, I don't know if you're good enough to be in my class. And so read this book and write a paper and we'll decide on whether you can be here or not. Wow. After, I mean, literally, this is after a career in education as a student Mm. where I had been excellent my entire life. Mm -hmm. And it showed in my transcripts. I was very confused by that. Mm -hmm. This was also the class where they had the debate about Ebonics and said that black people Mm -hmm. couldn't learn the King's English. And that was the last day that I went to that class and Mm -hmm. failed it and went back to regular history because I was like, I don't have to be here proving myself to you. But it was yet another example of being in spaces where I was not welcomed and I was consistently questioned, what are you? Oh, like, mm. is your mom white? Like, no, like mm. my parents are black. Like I be- I'm black. Right. Like, so why am I cussing? So when you deal with that for your entire adolescence, you grow into adulthood thinking that every space you enter, whether it's black or white or other, that you have to prove everything. And I'm really just now learning how to walk in a humility that is not rooted in my suppression and repression as a result of mm-hmm. that. And it's also the reason why I teach my daughters differently yeah. because I wonder again, wondering helps us to build resolve and grow and evolve. And I just wonder, you know, if we empower young black women to be who they are mm-hmm. without feeling like they have to prove or earn respect or basic human decency what kind of adults they become yeah right because i could have saved myself a whole lot of time Mm -hmm. if i had just said you know what girl you got this plus the other part is that i've always been able to adapt and so what happens as a result of that is that i really didn't have that one definitive thing that's this is who i am this is what i can do Mm -hmm. and so because i could do a number of different things it took me a really long time to figure out where I wanted to be, like mm-hmm. to the point where I changed my major in college like nine times. My parents were like, have you lost your mind? And I was like, no, I'm finding it. Right. I'm finding it. Yeah. They wanted a doctor. Then they wanted a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Then they wanted this. And, and eventually I was like, I want to do sociology. Like, who's getting a job doing I that? wonder. <laughs> I had this experience. Like when you're young and black, and especially if you're a woman and you're smart, they're like science and then like mm-hmm. law. 
where I really wish they would tell smart people, you get to choose and do whatever you want. That's right. Because mm-hmm. to do anything well mm-hmm. takes brilliance. That's right. And so it actually, for me, I had a similar experience. It took me a longer time to figure out what I wanted to do. I still question if I figured that out. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> because I think I was so ushered into one thing. So Absolutely. like, finally, we got a smart one. And I'm like, actually, the whole class was smart. You just weren't pouring into them. So mm-hmm. how did you decide it was sociology? Well, because what I love to do, I love people and I love the mm-hmm. study of how people organize. And I love learning about relationships and why we as human beings do what we do Mm -hmm. and like why certain constructs exist. And so because I spent a long time Mm -hmm. taking a number of classes, like if you were to look at my transcripts, I could have graduated probably four different times because I have credits (laughs) in all these different majors, right, that don't get counted because that's not the major that you ended up with. I just finally decided that being a jack of all trades wasn't an insult. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, Because the rest of that quote is the thing people don't really know. Yes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's really that a jack of all trades is better than a master of one. Oh, I thought it was master one. of none. Oh, better than That's a master of one. That's the first part of that quote. Yes. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. But it's oftentimes better than a master of one is the end of it. Wow. People stop at the first. Yeah. Wait, wait, I can't Jack of all trades yes. is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Yes. That's the full quote. And most people stop at the, because mm-hmm. we're told, we're told to figure it out and go that one line and do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I read this book called The Range that really finally made me feel like I wasn't a weirdo, mm. like something was not wrong with me yeah. inherently that I had a lack of commitment issues mm-hmm. because I didn't want to just do one thing. I wanted to be a generalist so that wherever I went, I could do whatever needed to be done. You're speaking to my soul right now. I can't tell you how many times I've been called a Jane of all trades, but now I know like that's kind of what it means. I prefer to call myself a renaissance. A renaissance. There we go. Renaissance. There I we went go. into so consulting because of that. One thing. <laughs> I love that. But I think also what you're saying kind of ties back to you, Dr. Key, in terms of what it does it take to be an entrepreneur. You obviously now sociology and just generally from exploring things, you know how to relate to a ton of different people. And just the fact that you're pouring back that into youth is that much more incredible. Your own children, but also just youth overall. So, I mean, it's incredible. Well, my thing is I don't have to experience everything Mm -hmm. to understand things, right? Like, what's the benefit Mm -hmm. of me repeating? Yeah. The goal for me in pouring into young people is so that they don't have to do it the way that that we did it, Mm -hmm. right? It's that they understand what is really fully available to them and they know how to take advantage of it. Talk a bit about, or both of you, the the power of the black dollar, not only when it comes to those who are starting businesses, just a quick quote, just knowing that black owned businesses contribute over 200 billion Mm. to the American economy annually. So we talk about the pouring into businesses and the dollar amount there, but also black folks who are coming in, whether it be businesses, black businesses or not, but the black dollar overall is set to hit 1.7 trillion by 2030. And those dollars so rarely stay within the black. Stay within there. Exactly. Exactly. So just talk a little bit more about that power about the hope for that power to stay within the black community what would it take yeah it's just open-ended here's the beautiful Mm -hmm. part we're not new to this Mm -hmm. we're true to this Mm -hmm. we've built communities that were then bombed and shut down which created fear in our community so it's not that we don't know how to circulate a black dollar it's that we have been prohibited Literally, from manufacturing and raw goods to retail space, et cetera. When you look at people who own retail spaces, you have to apply to be a vendor. 
you know, most people don't understand the the red tape that you have to go through in order to be a, a goods based business in this country. You know, the narrative that is often shared is that, you know, we want to spend in other people's communities when, in fact, there was a period in time where we couldn't do that. So what were we doing when we were prohibited, when it was a whites only establishment? We had our own businesses. We had our own butchers. We had our own dry cleaners. We had our own seamstresses. We had our own schools. We So again, it's not that we don't know how to circulate the black dollar. It's that desegregation was used to benefit the rest of this country, which is why you're talking about that 1.7 trillion spend, because mm-hmm. they knew the value of our consumer dollars and made it impossible for a long period of time for us to do anything other than spend our money in other communities. And so I think the blueprint already exists. And so now it's a matter of us saying definitively, we will source raw goods. We will manufacture our own products. We will sell in our own stores, in our own communities. Now, is it easy? No. Is there going to be a ton of red tape from leasing a building to finding employees, to training that staff, to getting POS systems and having merchant accounts set up? Is it going to be easy? No. But have we done this before? Absolutely. Can we do it again? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And so it's a matter of being intentional. Again, when you look at the model mm-hmm. of village market. I was about to say, you got to talk about the intentionality. When we Dr. talk King. about yeah. the intention <laughs> yes. and being okay with saying black. Mm. Oh, yes. hello. Yes. Black woman owned and mm-hmm. operated. Black mm-hmm. sourced. Mm-hmm. Black, not just black founded, but black owned and operated. Mm-hmm. When we can get comfortable in our own community saying that. Yeah then that other folk don't have a choice, right? But it's the, you know, we kind of cower. Ooh, yeah, you know, I'm going to the black. No, I went to black coffee this morning and got my avocado toast (laughs) and my light skin Keisha with oat milk. You know what I'm saying? Like I have a- Even the menu items are named after black people. Come on, Lotto, let me get my drink. Hey, hey, Mika, hey, y'all. But, you know, and I also, I I love coffee, right? Mm. So my coffee subscription is with Portrait coffee oh, okay black owned and operate right here in the west end yeah. right and so again it's being intentional and i love the we buy black platform mm-hmm. the village market platform that says you didn't know we made this mm. but we do mm-hmm. you need some some oils we got that mm-hmm. you need some apparel we got that you want toilet tissue cleaning detergent toothpaste toothbrushes we make all of these things yeah. we're not decentralized just, not just make it but make it well Hello. because i think a lot of people like to say this is the reason I don't buy black because it's not the service or the, the lateness or the product. And oftentimes that's not true or it's growing with a small business. You know what I mean? So talk a little bit more about the intentionality. And I think we got to, we got to touch on that next. I don't have anything more to add. <laughs> I thought she answered it well. Dr. Key School, and that's the thing, like, I think it's really important. And I, you know, and I, and I just, sometimes when I say that, I'm really not, I'm not being funny. I'm being serious. Mm-hmm. When you see women like Dr. Key, who come into this space that is very much political because Atlanta's very political. Okay. You got connections and relationships and people who know people who know people who know people. And if you don't know those people, you're not going to get into the Dr. Key, your model showed us that when we come in, this collective bargaining that we have <laughs> is powerful. And so to your point about the complaints and the reasons why not to support black businesses, if they overcharge you for a product and you went back, I love Target, by the way, I'd be in there all the time just saying, okay. <laughs> but I'm just saying, if you had an issue with Target or a Chick-fil-A or a Walmart or any of the major change, the corporations, mm-hmm. you wouldn't stop going there. Right. You would go to customer service. You would have a conversation. You would get refunded or restore some restorative practice. And you would keep going back as to why we don't offer that amount of grace 
to our own businesses is another remnant. And, you know, Kenya Barris says it all the time. And people laughed at him when he would say everything go back to slavery. We have been taught to disdain ourselves and the people who look like us. And so it is not a surprise then that we are more we're harder on each other than even the rest of the world sometimes. And it doesn't have to be that way. And so it's a matter of when you talk about unbecoming and unlearning, we have to unlearn self-hatred. We have to unlearn holding black people to higher standards than everybody else in every way, industry, profession, et cetera, behaviorally, the respectability politics of how we do all of that. Right. We have to unlearn all of those things in order for us to thrive as a community. But I take that a step further. Not only do I feel like we hold each other to higher standards, but we internalize that need for perfection in a way that stops us from trying new things. Mm. And that's what I'm unlearning now is like, Mm -hmm. if you try it, you will not be perfect at it. And even though you've had great success in other areas, you're going to be new at this thing and give yourself the grace to go out there and try it. So I assume that there are so many people listening who have ideas and businesses and things and they're looking at someone else's end journey or they're looking at Target and comparing themselves to that saying, well, how can I get there? And so maybe my question to you, uh, Dr. Key, is how do people get from not just A to B, but A to C? Because so many of these businesses are starting as solo operations. Again, Silicon Valley, one of the metrics of success was, is your company worth a billion dollars? And I think in the black community, that's like a a ridiculous place to start the conversation. So how do people get from like A to C or A to D? Like, What are some of those steps? Yeah, I think it is important, though, to understand that these major companies that we support, they also started small. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like even Starbucks to this Amazon planet that we exist in now. I mean, but that started out out of a garage. That's right. If looking at the end result is what I believe inspires people and intimidates people. Mm -hmm. But if they go to the origin story, then you understand that a lot of these people were just like us, had an idea, started very small, got excited about their first customer, just like we did. Mm -hmm. And then it scaled. But in order to scale, you have to have your infrastructure strong. I think businesses need to spend a great deal of time working on their operations manual. You need to understand how your company operates today and how you want it to operate Mm. next year. Because as you scale, you want to scale into a model that is already strong and built with durability. Because if not, you scale and you scale too fast and you fail. Mm. But the scale too fast, I think our society, we are so attached to the quick win, the overnight success. You know, do it all now. Well, there we go. Yes. (laughs) So it is our society, but I think that is what's perpetuated. Mm-hmm. I think the highlight reel, everything is one minute mm-hmm. and then some has to be 10 seconds. So we subconsciously, we're not even choosing to think this. We've been fed it. Mm-hmm. And then you believe that these are your beliefs and, and things mm-hmm. that you want for yourself, but you see it perpetuated everywhere. Yeah. And then you start sounding like someone right. else yeah. other than who you are because that's not your voice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Is this the way you've been swiping? There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think works for others? Well, others, yes. yes. And so I think this microwave environment that we're in, people feel people feel that they're not finding success because it doesn't look like some of the people in Atlanta or wherever listeners are, whoever that person, that one influencer that's in their community that gets all the praise. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to know that if you can keep your business open for one year, 
you have succeeded. Wow. That, and getting great. it to your two, your mm-hmm. three, your four, your five, and then you can breathe it just a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you're still, you're still trying to catch your breath. But in order to do it, you have to have a good team. I can't stress that enough. The only reason why I'm able to sit here today is because I have 23 other people holding it down for me. Yeah. And those 23 other people are extremely talented. Great. So as folks want to scale, when they see themselves getting to C and getting to D, you have to see yourself at the table with people who are far smarter than you. Talk about that. It. That's their lane of genius that they're in. Mm-hmm. And then having a very, very strong advisory council. Yes. This doesn't have to be structured. It can be like the room that we're sitting in now. Yeah. You have mm-hmm. to have people who've gone to a place that you, that feels so far off to you Yeah. because where you are, seems very small to them and they have a way of putting it, talking to you in such a way to help you understand. Like this is just a small problem. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like the concept that you're talking through right now, Dr. Key, because it's one that we all have to adopt. You go slow to go fast. You go slow now so you can go faster later. It requires entrepreneurship and business ownership just in general requires a level of patience that I think is undervalued and not patience in solving problems patience in growing your business model right like you can't do 25 things well out the gate if you have no staff okay hello (laughs) if you don't have protocol right like Mm -hmm. to your point about this operations manual and if you listen to dr key you listen to pinky cole you listen to people who have built things that have lasted who have employed people who have consistent presence in the market these are the things you're hearing going slow now to go faster later is critical. And so, I I mean, I do, I think that we have to adopt a different time. I don't even know if it's time frame or just scale. Like what does real scale look like? And because often in our communities, we don't know people one to one, Mm -hmm. right. That can tell us, okay, yeah, this did start here. And then I did this, 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 and this, right. In order to get here by this point Mm -hmm. and really build realistic timelines around where we want to go, which is also why it's important to be involved in incubators. Now I know Dr. Key, I've heard you say repeatedly, we love information and advice. We also need that check. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the incubator without the capital is still not going to work out. Right. And so that's why I think programs like what the village has done for entrepreneurs, when you talk about self health and wealth, right? Like those two things are not mutually exclusive. Mm, Like there are other pieces, particularly about being a black entrepreneur, that have to be addressed, right? That have to be worked through. And we have to be malleable in different ways than other entrepreneurs because of our journey being different than other people's. There is a question that we ask everyone who comes on the show. Mm -hmm. It's our signature. I love this question. I want to pose it to each of you. It is, what is your dream for black women? Sure, I'm happy to go first. My dream for us is to experience this life how it was was meant to be experienced. And that's fully. That's eliminating the barrier in our minds, the barriers of our dreams, the barriers within our relationships, the barriers within our health, the barriers within our experiences. One by one, if the relationship is unhealthy, get out of that relationship. If you are unhealthy in your body, work to wellness. Strive towards your well-being. Because I know as we eliminate those barriers... We will experience something in this life mm-hmm. that will unveil so much promise for the generation that comes after us. Mm-hmm. We birth things. Yeah. 
our very presence lifts and elevates things. But we can't experience that if we have barriers. Mm. So what I what I want is for black women to experience life without that barrier. So we can breathe and hold our breath for a moment and be fully present and be amazed by what we see in each other. We are the most special creation ever created. Come on and talk about it. And especially the gift of being black. There's no greater honor that could have been bestowed to us. I have chills. Same. Every time. I'm not, I don't Ooh. even, like, what do you say after that? Because my word was liberation, but that's exactly what Dr. Mm-hmm. Key is describing. Because of how we're taught history, we look at freedom, right? Because that's other folks' desire and goal, because they have a certain level already, right, at birth. And that was why the construct was created in the first place. Whereas we are born into what folk want us to believe is a prison uh, of our own of our own destiny or like we deserve something different because of the color of our skin when in fact it was divinely appointed so I agree wholeheartedly Dr. Key but liberation is is the goal yeah. that's what I want for all black women in particular because you know when you when you listen to Malcolm X talking about you know the most disrespected people in America being black women not that I want to victimize us because I don't think that we are victims I think that often we are products of environments that want us not to love ourselves because they know the power that we truly have so I want liberation for black women I want us to understand that rest is a requirement not a luxury I want us to be able to walk fully in who we are without having to apologize to each other or to other people, you know, folks say unapologetically, like, what does that mean? It means that I'm not going to have to hold my head down when I step into a space because you may not accept me because I wore my hair Mm -hmm. out curly today instead of underneath my wig or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever the case may be. And so I just want us to be free in the freest sense of the word. And that is only found in liberation. It is being separate from the environments in which we're placed and being available Mm -hmm. to experience joy Like, what does that look like for us? And is it the same? No, it's not a monolithic experience. And being comfortable with not having to be like another black woman because we in and of ourselves, you know, each creation, every fingerprint is different. Like, we really fully adopt that. And the last piece of that liberation is understanding that in that liberation, we have to be together. Um, I I want unity for black women. A million, a million, a million snaps. (laughs) So how can people follow you, stay in touch, support the amazing work that you're doing? We could talk to you for hours, but sadly we will have to end it here. With our guests, at least. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have an amazing retail store that's open seven days a week at Pond City Market, located on the second floor. Look for the green wall Mm. that says support is a verb. And then do what the verb says, that make some action, yes. buy something. The Village Retail is open every day. You can buy online at thevillageretail.com or go to Punt City Market and patronize. Um, the Village Market has a number of campaigns, a number of programs that entrepreneurs can lean into. We just announced today that we have an amazing partnership underway with Walmart. And we're focusing on Mississippi, Alabama, Memphis, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Georgia to provide pro bono services for black women founders and retail-facing businesses. And then lastly, we launched a program in Mississippi, Elevate Mississippi, to elevate 100 black entrepreneurs in my home state of Mississippi. So for entrepreneurs, if you're looking for a place that was created for you to have a sense of belonging, worthiness, and safety, 
check out all the things that we're doing with the Village Market, our Village United, and the Village Retail. Oh, going to tap in for sure. Please do, because look, I stays yes. uh, online. That was one of the best things. I was like, during COVID, we can do online shopping <laughs> with the village? Right. Sign me up. I'm not one of the people that wants to jump out and be like, you can follow me at, but I mean, if you must, yeah. I have uh, an Instagram handle at underscore the Miss B underscore. Of course, it has to be different because I don't really like to be out in front. I prefer to stay behind the scenes and support, but the work that we are doing here in Atlanta, if you want to support that at Veritas, Georgia, Veritas is Latin for truth, V-E-R-I-T-A-S, Georgia. Um, that is the URL. That's the social media handles. Um, and then just kind of check it out. I'm going to do more this year in, in really speaking and in front of young people, because I realize that silence is not going to free us. And I have to do what I've been called to do. And so, you know, I'll be around, you know, yeah. talking to the people. But yeah, check us out online. The work is it's underway. And we need all the support that we can get from our community sure. in order to do the work that needs to be done to create generations of black excellence to come. Thank you for supporting us yes. <laughs> by yeah. co coming in and, and really talking through your stories and being so transparent about what you're doing and and what honestly just breathing life, not only into us here, but also into the black women and other entrepreneurs that might be listening to this episode. So thank you thank both you. Dr. Key and Kelly for coming, coming through for those listening, make sure to stick around. Ty and I would, we going to debrief. <laughs> try, our, try our best to debrief what just happened. So yeah, stick around for more monuments to me. Thank you. Now that's a wrap for our guests, but not for our episode. Keep listening as we share our insights and all our thoughts on what we just discussed. So you know what, Ty? Let's hop right into it. This is MTM Reflections, where we debrief our segment. We talk about the guests, we talk about our own opinions, and we talk about some facts on these topics that we know are super important to you, to us, and to the culture. We just did a collective sigh. <laughs> that was amazing. And I think there was just so much wisdom. I could have talked to both of them for another hour. Easily. And there are so many takeaways. But the first thing that comes to mind is what they ended with, mm. which was that slow and steady, intentional building of what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to take that with me because... You just have all of these goals and you want them all now. And that's just not the way life works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes into a lot of what Dr. Key was saying, especially around the idea of like unbecoming. Immediately my head went to Michelle Obama because of her book. But <laughs> besides that, I really liked what she was saying about some of the things you have to rework within yourself. Because oftentimes, and I think it's easy enough as black women to think of like, there's so many factors that are against us in a sense, you know, society your work, your play, things of that nature where you have to kind of be truer to who you are. You have to fight even harder. You have to be more and more and more of yourself to kind of thrive and to just sometimes be. But I think putting the focus on you and some of the things that you can actually change in order to become better and to become more successful is a hard pill to swallow, but it's the pill that I'm swallowing actively now. It's like, what are the things in myself? I haven't come up with a ton yet, but what are some of the short lists that I... I know there's some work I would have to do personally to get that that outcome to be 
the village market to yeah. be kind of what Kelly has been able to do in her her multiple businesses and things like that. I mentioned that I was unbecoming my attachment to perfectionism. Can you mm. think of one thing that you are unbecoming? Outside of those, that thing or within humility, I think something else that I'm really focused on is this idea, which I'm glad we're going to be talking about it soon enough. The idea of being softer to myself in terms of the things that I demand out of life and demand other people to do for me and being okay with that. I'm not used to, and I'm not, oftentimes I didn't realize how uncomfortable I am with putting it on somebody else. Not because I don't, you know, want to lean on or want that help or want that village. It's more so, are they going to show up in the way that I know I show up for myself, you know, and have shown up for myself and the effects of me showing up for myself oftentimes been positive. But now it's like, how do you really allow other people to be, be their best for you. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm trying to figure out. How do you do that in not only the small things, but the big, big things that you want out of life and you want to per- perhaps your business too. That's a good one. So mm-hmm. this week, what is your dream for black women? Hmm. I guess with that, my dream for black women is to, to have support, to have support. And I'm going to focus right now on the business, on the entrepreneurship piece. So obviously we want support and I would love them to have support us to have support in life overall, but specifically in the business and that can go so far as, Hey, your friend has a new line buy that candle. And without that friend having to bombard you with texts and calls to buy that candle, maybe it's showing up in the fact that, you know, you have an idea being open enough about that idea to your community because you know, your community will have your back in ways that you couldn't even think of. Right. Support when it comes to just, just being open about what you want to do and knowing that if you fail, you're actively failing forward, not just because of you, but because other people are supporting you. What about you? Mine is almost exactly the same this week. I want black women to have access to community support and financial resources they need to take whatever dream they have from wherever it is to wherever it needs to be. Mm. I love what Dr. Kree's created in terms of the incubator and just all her platforms. And I want black women to have access to that in their lives. For sure. Well, thank you so much again to our guests. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Dr. Key, for coming in and sharing the wisdom, not only when it comes to building black businesses, but also building black youth. Totally appreciate that from the both of us. So again, make sure to listen to more Monuments to Me every week on all or wherever you find your favorite podcast, which should be us to begin with. (laughs) But make sure you follow us on our socials to just keep up with what we're doing and keep up with what we're building with Monuments to Me. Subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a review. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into Monuments to Me. A special thank you to Revolt for creating the space for Black women to have important conversations. If you liked what you heard today, and we are so sure that you did, then subscribe, leave a review, and tell a friend to tell a friend about your new favorite podcast. Head over to Revolt.com to stay connected to all things Monuments to Me. And follow your hosts, Ty and Akila, on Instagram. The link is in the show notes. Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? 
Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. 